Merry Christmas to you all. Uh, every year on Christmas, uh, particularly this Christmas liturgy, I want to preach about the Johannine prologue that I just read to you, the introduction to the Gospel of John, but also to speak about the affirmations, what I call the Christmas affirmations, which are very important. The, the Christmas season is an extension in the sense of Advent. It's the fulfillment of the, of the waiting and the expectancy of Advent. But this, this whole season, which is Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, was actually the second cycle that, was, that evolved in the church's liturgical life for liturgical churches. The first cycle was Easter or Lent, Easter, Pentecost. So what we're celebrating now is the celebration that God has become a human being, that by extension, you and I, if we hear his words and understand his works, we now can live lives more consistent with God's purposes for us and understand that we have a role to play in God's plan for the cosmos. I use that term cosmos all the time. And sometimes you just might think of Carl Sagan only, but I hope that's not true because it's a Greek word which can mean orderly arrangements, order as opposed to chaos, but also cosmos can mean ornament. And I always like to think about that during Christmas because uh, God made each one of us and we're God's ornaments. And it's very nice to think of that. Somebody I was talking to in my office not long ago whose parents had both died said, you know, I just like to think of them before me as ornaments in God's space. And I thought that was a very good way uh, to speak about that. So cosmos can mean in some way ornament. The whole of creation uh, is God's ornament. We're part of it. And we reflect back to God uh, the image because God became a human being and fleshed it out and now we are like him. So here are the four affirmations that are very important during Christmas, during the great feasts of the incarnation. The first affirmation is that during Christmas tide and during Epiphany, we affirm that uh, we are humanity and that we are good. We are made in God's image and God called us good. You know, there's been a lot of different narratives in Christianity over the years about how, how and why all this happened and that why was Jesus born to come here and tell us that we needed to pull our socks up and in some way we needed to, make, to understand that we needed a savior. And my own view is, is that he came to say, you are unconditionally loved, accepted, and forgiven, and I need you to fulfill my purposes. And so our focus should be uh, on that reality, the goodness of our humanity, the goodness of the creation. God saw everything, as it says in Genesis, and indeed, it was very good. The second affirmation is that we believe that through this action, you and I can achieve the highest of our human potential. And I don't mean that in, in, in the Tony Robbins sense or some sort of uh, you know, human fulfillment movement. 
I don't know whether I ever told you this, but when I was the rector of Christ Church Sausalito, it was at the time when Est was flying high in April. And it turned out that Werner Erhard, the founder of Est, was an Episcopalian. <laughs> so I had for my sins to ha deal with Werner Erhardt from time to time. And I want to tell you that I got very tired of being asked, does this work for you? <laughs> right? But we believe that we can achieve the highest of our potential, which means living into what we already are, made in God's image. And the process of the spiritual life is coming to understand how we do live into that as we get greater clarity about God's purposes for us. And the human potential that we're talking about is both internal, the realization of our vocational goals, the bringing some serenity to our emotional, spiritual, and mental states, but it is also improving and bringing health and wholeness to our relational life how we deal and, 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 and live with one another in harmony. And so when we affirm this, we affirm at the very least that we intend now to go on the journey and to fulfill what it is that God wants for us. We also, this is one of the hard affirmations this year for Christmas, maybe one of the, one of the times that it's been the hardest in a long time. And that is that Christians affirm that it is possible to be joyful. You know, we've had a tough couple of weeks in this country. And one of the things that we need to remember is that in the midst of that, we affirm that Christian people can be joyful. And it's important that we understand that joyful does not mean giddy hilarity like Snoopy in the cartoon, you know. It means the sure and steady confidence that the conundrums and ambiguities of life can and will come into surer and clearer focus for each of us personally and as a community, both the community of faith and the wider community of which we're a part and should and ought to have some influence. And so it is possible to be joyful with regard to those things. And we always hold that in front of us this time of year with the Christmas affirmations. And finally, another tough one, the last one, which is Christian people are to be about peace. What does it say in the gospel, in Luke? For example, we've read now the great sweep. We've read from Luke his narrative about the birth of Jesus, about the Annunciation, about Mary, about all of these things. And then we come to this uh, liturgy for Christmas, the last of the three possibilities, and we always read the Johannine Prologue, and we will read the Johannine Prologue on Sunday. And so it has something to do with understanding the history of salvation and moving ourselves to the realization that Christmas, in large part, is a theological feast. It is not a historical feast. I saw one of these shows again, Jesus to Christ, or one of these things on the TV, and somebody tells the people, the watchers and the listeners, that Christmas, the December 25th, really wasn't Jesus' real birthday. No kidding. <laughs> I mean, 
you know, I went to seminary. They, they told us that there. They didn't spare us anything. Right? They told us about the history. What in the world is going on here? Christian people need to be about peace. And in Luke we hear peace on earth. That was the great thing that the people who followed Jesus heard and saw his mighty works. They came to realize that in some way this was important in that regard. And that God was our ally in the processes of peacemaking. And boy, if there's any time in the world that we need to think about peacefulness and serenity, it's now. You know? It's very important. I don't need to tell you this, but I, I mentioned this at the children's. I hope, I know you're doing this this Christmas season, but hold your family close. That's important to do. And we need to stay close. And we need to support one another in the midst of great difficulty. And this affirmation has something to do with that. Now, let me say a word to you about the Johannine prologue. I used to find this a baffling thing to read. Here's 3995 Biblical Scholarship. Some Johannine scholars, that's the, the fancy term for John's gospel and the writings of John attributed to John in the New Testament. But the prologue, the introduction to the gospel uh, may have been a separate piece of material that was added to the gospel as it was put together in its final form. Some believe that there are as many as five redactors uh, that were uh, engaged in the process of bringing John to, to the, uh, what it is now. And one of the big issues the early church had to face, which um, demonstrates to some degree the, the truth of the Holy Scriptures and its, their reliability, and that has to do with the fact that they had to deal with the embarrassment of John the Baptist. And that there were still people around who believed that John the Baptist was the Messiah. And there is a theory, which I don't share, that uh, the gospel according to John was originally a gospel about John the Baptist. And that the introduction to the gospel had something to do with now making the gospel about Jesus and not about John the Baptist. In any case, it's an opportunity to say what my teacher O.C. Edwards always said, it's not as important what the Bible says as what the Bible means. And today we're presented the theological template for all of the affirmations about which I just spoke. So when we read in John's gospel in the prologue that Jesus was the word... And the word was made flesh. In the Greek text, it is logos, which is the word for word. And here's what it can mean. Thought, speech, account, meaning, reason, proportion, principle, standard. Father Thomas Keating would say it is about the divine light breaking in to human consciousness. So clarity of thinking, beginning to understand the template uh, that we believe is part of how we now live and function as Christians. John, unlike any other gospel, believes that if God were walking around on the earth, this is who 
he would be like Jesus of Nazareth. And more to the point, we were not listening to and watching a mere tableau of somebody gliding around the world six inches off the ground, but somebody who engaged in the processes of imparting to his followers what he was saying and being in front of them. So he provides the Christian community with tools they can use. And by virtue of that, they begin to understand, you know what? We are part of God's ornaments. We are part of the plan. We are necessary for the fulfillment of the plan. We in some way uh, are needed by God. And by virtue of that, we're also called upon to affirm the four things that I mentioned to you and to say that by that process, that's how we do it, not somewhere else. Jesus did not come to earth to tell us how to go somewhere else, to encourage us to go somewhere else. He came here to tell us that here is the arena where all of the things in the gospel records are going to come to fruition. And they can't come to fruition without faithful people like you and me. You know, when we speak about peacemaking, we need to um, understand that Jesus did not use peace. He didn't read the King James Bible to people. He was about shalom, the shalom of God, which is the Hebrew word for peace. And shalom is a much deeper thing. I just told you what logos meant in Greek. Shalom means completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation or discord. So when he came and proclaimed peace, he meant a substantial overlay to the way in which human beings deal with one another. It isn't just merely the absence of war. It is moving to the actual default position of how we were made and created and what our purpose is. So as we move through the 12 days of Christmas, I say this every year, remember Christmas lasts for 12 days. In my family years ago, they would sit open all the presents and then somebody in the family would say, well, that's it, Christmas is over for another year, right? Whereupon my grandfather would say, don't throw any of those envelopes in the fireplace, you might burn up some money. <laughs> so it made it, we, we, we realized that we had to be careful about the priorities. <laughs> when Christmas was over, you know, on Christmas Day. Christmas runs for 12 days. It gives us a time to contemplate the presence of Christ to the church. It gives us time to contemplate the Logos, the template that we understand uh, why Jesus came in John's Gospel. So see if you can do that and live into the four affirmations. The goodness of your humanity, the fact that you can achieve the highest of your potential, it's possible to be joyful in the midst of difficult circumstances and that you and I are to be in big and small ways about the peace of Christ. 
Amen.